Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, speaking on Wednesday afternoon, joined, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton, who is about to tell me why things are not as bad as they seem after a 7-0 loss to the Padres. Because if we, if we recorded this yesterday, I would have been in a pretty sunny disposition. And as we speak now, uh, it looks like Starling Marte is, is going to be on the shelf for a little while. Pete Alonso might go to the disabled list. And the Mets are coming off a, a pretty demoralizing 7-0 loss to the Padres. Yeah, we really just should have recorded Monday after uh, after the Dodgers series, after the Mets had come back from uh, losing the first two of that series to take the next two. Even if we had recorded Tuesday after they had won the, the opener in San Diego uh, pretty impressively. Uh, you know, it's Tuesday night in San Diego was about as, as bad a game as the Mets have had all season. It's just the second time they've been shut out. Uh, you know, it's not like they, they played like especially poorly, but to lose uh, both Pete Alonso and Starling Marte early on in that game uh, is uh, uh, I'm trying to think of like a, a nicer or uh, a more intelligent way to say like just a, a real bummer, you know, um, that's just kind of how it, it came across. Total bummer. Uh, you know, and you know, Mart- Marte has been playing so well and, and Alonzo's their MVP. This is like, it's not, it's not just losing two regulars. It's losing two very important regulars. Yeah. And, and with Alonzo, it, it throws off, like it, it's been uh, really interesting and I think fun for Mets fans over the last you know two weeks or so when he's just driving in basically a run every game uh, to think about like well he's still on pace to, to drive in like 155 runs uh, over the course of the season the Mets record is 124 uh, just obliterate that record I don't think anyone in Major League Baseball has driven in 150 since uh, Alex Rodriguez in 2007 uh, you know Jose Ramirez in the, the American League is doing something similar at the moment but uh, you know, if Alonzo has to miss 10 days or so, it, it just kind of, uh, it wrecks kind of that, that fun storyline for at least a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of, of just the pace at which he's driving in runs. He's been such a, he, he's been the central figure in their offense. Marte, uh, since coming back from the bereavement list in the middle of May, uh, has, you know, like an 840 OPS, four home runs in the last 15, 16 games or something, uh, has been a real uh, stable part of that table-setting trio that the Mets have at the top of the order with Nimmo, Marte, and Lindor ahead of Alonzo. You know, there's a reason Alonzo has so many RBIs, and it's that those guys have been on base for him. Uh, so, you know, the offense has been uh, such a, you know, has, has been consistent really throughout the season and, and had really hit its stride at the end of May. Uh, and we saw even over the weekend in L.A. against a good pitching staff, you know, they did well against Walker Bueller. They did well against Julio Urias. After struggling in the first two games of that series, uh, you know, the offense showed it, it can do things against good pitching staffs. Uh, and now, you know, just like last last May and June, uh, they might have to get by with with a, a less than ideal lineup for a little bit. I think that they're deep enough to cover. Like, I, I don't think they're going to go into the tank completely offensively without without Marte and, and Alonso, because I think they're just still too deep. Like, there's still there's still a bunch of good hitters in the lineup. And especially if if J.D. Davis is uh, is hitting a bit better. He's still sort of like middling for the season. You have to assume Davis gets Alonzo's, and Davis has been playing pretty regularly as a DH, but you, you figure uh, Davis slots in for Alonzo for as long as Alonzo is out. How do they replace Marte in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, you could. it could be where you have, you know, okay, Davis is your first baseman most nights. Uh, Luis Guillorme is your second baseman most nights. Jeff McNeil is in the corner outfield along with Canna and Nimmo most nights. Uh, and then your DH is, you know, maybe it's Nick Plummer mm-hmm. getting more run there. Uh, or Plummer can play the outfield a bit. You can put McNeil at second uh, or, you know, DH McNeil a little bit. 
Um, you can play around with it that way. It, it is kind of, you know, they've got the pieces to cover it for now, but uh, it does leave kind of that, that one extra lineup spot with the DH probably a little bit uh, suboptimal uh, with, with who they'll play there. You know, uh, it sounds from, from what uh, some other people are reporting that Khalil Lee is on his way from Syracuse to San Diego. Uh, you know, if they need to put Marte on the, the IL, I would imagine if Alonzo is going on the IL that Dominic Smith would be the call up. Uh, but he's in the Syracuse lineup on, on Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday night. Uh, so uh, maybe that that's maybe that portends good news for Alonzo, uh, which, which would be nice for the Mets. Uh, but Smith would be another guy who, you know, could get an opportunity uh, to, to show what he can do at the major league level with a little bit more consistent playing time if Alonzo does have to miss time. You know, your hope if you're the Mets is just that, that with both of these things, that neither of them is... Uh, too long, you know. If if Alonzo has to miss ten days the way he did last year, that's fine. Uh, if it's six weeks uh, the way he had to uh, at one point in the minor leagues with a broken bone in his hand, uh, that's a lot harder for them to overcome, uh, and that will make these next the next month and a half a lot more difficult. But uh, if it's if it's just a brief absence, uh, then then yeah, I think they're in a position where they can overcome that uh, without too much panic at this point. It feels a little bit like a, a monkey's paw wish to get Dominic Smith, Smith regular at bats in the big leagues. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah you, you, Dom will get his opportunity. It comes at Alonzo's expense, you know. Um, but you know, he, he's he's done well in the in AAA. Just the, the couple of days he's been down there. Uh, so I think that suggests that he's. You know, we talked last time about what kind of headspace he might be in. It suggests that he's he's taking it well and taking it as a challenge. Uh, and. Uh, you know, hopefully can carry that over to the, the major leagues whenever that next opportunity comes, whether it's it's right now or later in the season. One thing probably worth noting, and this might have come up on the show last time we spoke. I, I, I feel like I was thinking about saying it, and I'm not sure if I did. Mark Canna has pretty extensive experience playing first base, so, so you have some flexibility there. Like you said, if you want to play McNeil in a corner outfield spot, if you want to give Plummer run in the outfield, uh, because they are, uh, you know, I mean, even without Marte, they do have some outfielder, outfield options. Um, I think Canna probably behind... Uh, behind Alonzo, probably, I think he probably has more experience than than Davis even playing first base in the majors. So that's an option. I mean, I, I don't know how often they they'll use it because Ken is a pretty good defender in the outfield too, and you tend to think that's the the more crucial defensive position. But if you have a first baseman who's not catching the ball, that that becomes a, a pretty glaring hole. Yeah, you know, Ken has played there a fair amount for in Oakland. Even Eduardo Escobar played at first uh, a bit last year with Milwaukee. I'm not I'm not sure what arrangement would would make that make sense for the Mets uh, with, with who would play third in, in that that situation. But, it, you know, it's, it is nice to have different mm-hmm. options and to move guys around. We, we've talked about the kind of defensive versatility they've built. Uh, and McNeil is such a, an integral part of that. The fact that he is, you know, an average uh, to, to above average defender at second base at le- in left field. Uh, I don't think he's played right field yet this year, but he has in the past and, and certainly held his own there as well. Uh, I think it was right field where he made that ridiculous catch uh, in – uh, in Chicago against the White Sox going into the netting. Uh, so, you know, his ability to play multiple positions and play them well, which is something we don't always talk about with defensive versatility. A lot of times we talk about guys being able to stand at different positions, but they don't necessarily play them well. McNeil plays them well, uh, allows them a lot of flexibility here with, with how they want to replace uh, any one of these guys. It is something we will obviously be paying a lot of attention to moving forward. Something else I know uh, we've got a couple questions about coming up, but uh, I wanted to talk about the bullpen. Just one specific thing that is very old news right now. Uh, it was old news really even by the time the game was over, but on one of the nights in Los Angeles, I believe you were on hand, 
Buck Showalter, after saying he would do so, uh, or teasing that he would do so at some point, went to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning against the top of the Dodgers lineup, which was Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman, not in that order. Uh, but clearly, uh, they were running out a very top-heavy team that night. I was so impressed. Like, it, was, it, it warmed my cold, sabermetric heart to see a manager actually follow through. And we know uh, about, about Showalter's reputation for a bullpen. I think we also know that guys tend to be a little more comfortable pitching in prescribed roles. But it was clear that it was communicated to Diaz that that might happen, that Diaz himself was cool with it, and that uh, he did it. And, and, you know, it didn't work out in the ninth because, because Seth Lugo allowed a run, and they wound up winning behind Adonis Medina, uh, which probably wasn't the plan. But I love going to Diaz <laughs> in that spot. Yeah, you know, I, I think that was the right move there. The Dodgers, their their lineup is not as deep as we're used to it being over the last couple of years. Uh, and uh, that, that top third, though, is uh, maybe as good a stretch of three hitters as any in baseball. You've got uh, Mookie Betts, who's won an MVP and is playing at an MVP level right now. You've got Freddie Freeman, who's won an MVP uh, and who the Mets know very well uh, and, who has, and who knows the Mets very well. Uh, and then Trey Turner, who won the batting title last year and is going to sign an enormous contract this offseason. Uh, those are three really good hitters. Uh, you would rather have Edwin Diaz facing them than anyone else in your bullpen. Uh, so I thought that was the right move for Showalter to make. You know, there are a lot of people who wonder, like, why not stick with Diaz for the ninth inning? Uh, and, I, you know, it's reasonable to ask. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the old National League where you would have had to double switch mm -hmm. him or anything like that. Uh, you could have tried to ride him out for the four, five, six in that lineup. Um, but you also, you know, you'd like Seth Lugo's chances of getting through that part of the Dodger order uh, without uh, giving up two runs. You know, <laughs> get through uh, the Will Smith, Justin Turner uh, I forget who was hitting six for them. Chris Taylor, uh, maybe uh, get through that that part of the order without giving up two runs, and you you win the game, uh, and you have Edwin Diaz ready to go Monday night as well uh, in San Diego. If you use him uh, for for two innings, you would lose him for Monday. You know, I, I can go either way on it. I Lugo was pretty close to closing it out, and then uh, and then the Dodgers extended it on him uh, with, with Taylor uh, and with uh, Eddie Alvarez, who who gets all of his hits against the Mets. Uh, so I don't I don't have a problem with the way the Mets ran right. the bullpen that time. You know, it's not it's not as if Lugo has cracked under the pressure of pitching in the ninth inning. In the past, he's been generally pretty good in save situations. He has been their closer for various stretches uh, in 2018 and 2019. Uh, you know, he, he's not been his best this season, but had had been performing reasonably well uh, going into that game. So I I don't have any qualms with that, and I, I still really like the idea of using Diaz in the eighth inning. We were talking in the press box that that is like it is almost exhibit 1A of things managers talk about doing all the time and then don't do. Um, you know, we can go back mm -hmm. to Mickey Calloway talking all the time. Like he was going to creatively use his closer uh, in, in Jerry's Familia in 2018. Uh, and it never happened. Uh, and uh, it was nice to see a manager who had said that this is something I'm going to look to do in a certain situation. And the situation presented itself and he didn't hesitate to do it. Yeah, and and again, like the result wasn't exactly what they wanted, but I think um, it probably speaks to the communication of that too. That that Diaz, at least from the post game quote, sounded like he was fully on board. He said it was like a chess match. Yeah, I mean, you know, as as long as you give uh, the the guy a heads up that it's possible that it would happen, 
that he's okay with missing out on the save opportunity that would be there with it. Uh, and, you know, you, you have Diaz has experience pitching before the ninth inning. Lugo has experience pitching in the ninth inning. You're not asking anyone to do anything that they've never done before. Uh, that, you know, people have talked about Diaz in non-save situations. I think I always want to break that down into, like, pressure situations and non-pressure situations. I, I feel like it's a different, you know, if Edwin Diaz is pitching and it's a 9-1 to game, yeah, he's probably not going to pitch as well as he does in a close game because the adrenaline and, and kind of what you what you pitch with as a closer is not there. The the environment is different. When you're doing it in the eighth inning of a, a four to two game against that top third of the order, the adrenaline's probably still pumping at, at the same amount. Uh, and I think Diaz has been reasonably good in those situ- those non-save situations compared to kind of the blowout ones that we've seen. Yeah, it was something we talked about a little bit while you were gone, but it definitely seems like Diaz flourishes in the high pressure situation, whether whether it's in the ninth inning or as we can see the eighth. Like um, we've heard from him about how how the music impacted him, um, and so it, it feels like he is a guy who who relies a little bit on the the heart rate going up. And so it's not surprising to me that he that he doesn't perform as well in those high pressure save situations. I'd also say if you're pitching in a nine to one game and you're Edwin Diaz, you're you're approaching it probably quite a bit differently than you're pitching in in a in a one run game. You're not going to necessarily try to you know throw your best slider off the plate and strike everybody out if you're you know working on locating your fastball or whatever. Yeah, you're not throwing the three two slider in that situation. You're trying to get ahead, uh, and so you know their bullpen and we can talk about this is. Uh, it's been good. It was very good in that series in Los Angeles. Uh, I thought it was really impressive uh, the way that uh, the, the depth of the bullpen contributions they got. You mentioned Medina and what he did uh, in Sunday's finale in, in facing that same top third of the order with a runner on second to start and holding the Dodgers off the board. That was really impressive. Uh, you got, you know, Colin Holderman got nicked up a bit in San Diego on Tuesday night, but has otherwise pitched really well. Steven Ngosik's pitched really well. You know, Jason Shreve and Joely Rodriguez have pitched fine. Adam Adovino has been fine. Like there's no one in that bullpen that, that really feels like they shouldn't be in the major leagues at this point. Uh, and they, they all feel like, you know, if you're in the seventh inning of a two run game, you feel like you can use just about anyone in that bullpen at this point. Uh, and that, that's gotta be a pretty nice feeling for a manager. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We do have a question about the bullpen from Philip Metz, who, who emailed at Ask Ted Berg at, or not at, 
just askedhedberg at gmail.com, which you can if you have a question. Uh, of course, you can get with us uh, for live questions later in the week when we do a live Q&A show again. Philip wants to know, he said, I wanted to get your and Tim's opinion on the trade deadline. Obviously, bullpen arms will be at a premium at the deadline, and it would appear that not only the Mets, but likely the Dodgers and Yankees, among others, will be looking. Editorial aside, all teams, all teams in contention will want extra bullpen arms. Um, he said he has a three-part question, which is which is a lot, but we have time. Will the Mets have the prospect capital to acquire arms? Assuming assuming Scherzer and DeGrom come back, and not taking anything away from Holderman, Smith, and Medina, but would they consider any current starters being high-leverage bullpen options? And lastly, if the Angels' slide continues, do you think a reunion would be in the cards with the great Aaron Loop? Again, there's a little bit of editorializing there. He just said Loop. <laughs> Uh, so I, where do you want to start? Uh, so start, start yeah, with the so, prospect I mean, capital. It depends. Do they have, and I think they, uh, yeah. It, it depends on what magnitude of trade you want to make for a, a reliever. Like we talked on Friday in the, the live show about a guy like David Bednar in Pittsburgh is probably like the biggest name, biggest swing they can take for a reliever that I, of guys that I assume are, are going to be available to some extent. Uh, and that would be a little harder for them to swing because that's a guy who's, who's very good right now and is under team control for, uh, at least four more seasons. It might actually be five. Uh, and so that's someone that, you know, that would take one of their top prospects uh, or a package of, of good prospects. You know, we mentioned it, I wrote about it last year at the trade deadline. The, the Mets' biggest problem with their farm system isn't the top prospects they have. They have very good top prospects. Francisco Alvarez uh, is as good as any prospect in baseball. I think Kylie McDaniel at ESPN said he's the best prospect uh, in the minor leagues right now. Uh, you've got uh, Ronnie Mauricio and Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos and Matt Allen. Uh, and, and I know Keith Law at The Athletic has Alex Ramirez as a top 100 prospect. Those are, are all very good prospects. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the class after them. It's the mid-level prospect that the Mets don't really have any of. Uh, and, you know, you saw like last year, the Yankees trade mm. for Joey Gallo was just kind of putting a bunch of those type prospects together to send to Texas. Or uh, the Giants trade for Chris Bryant with the Cubs was sending kind of two mid-level prospects of a quality the Mets don't really have in their system to get him. The Mets to get Javi Baez then, because they couldn't send two mid-level guys, had to send one really good prospect in Pete Crow Armstrong. That's why uh, the Mets looked like they had to overpay a little bit for a rental player uh, in Baez. So that's, I, you know, they've, there's some guys who might be filling in to that gap. You know, their, their draft last year, uh, has, a lot of those players have performed reasonably well considering that they didn't sign their first round pick in Kamar Rocker. Uh, but I still don't know that they have, you know, the, mm. the supply of, of mid-level guys to make a big move at the deadline for a bullpen piece or otherwise. Uh, what was the second part? The second part was... The second part was... Uh, if so, so, and this is something we talked about, I think, a little bit before. He said, assuming Scherzer and DeGrom come back, and not taking anything away from Holderman, Smith, and Medina, I'll throw in uh, Nagosik in there as well, who's been great. Uh, would they consider any current starters being high leverage bullpen options? You know, I, I can imagine, uh, like, you know, I, I think if when those guys come back to the, the rotation, you know, Trevor Williams is going to go back into the bullpen uh, because. While he has an option remaining, he can opt out of his contract at that point, and uh, the Mets don't want that to happen. So he'll he'll be in the major leagues uh, all season. I would I would suspect. Uh, you know, I think David Peterson might go back to the minor leagues to to stretch out. I think McGill would be the guy that you would think about maybe 
being kind of a, a spot starter and potential late inning reliever. Like certainly uh, if we get to October uh, and you're talking about uh, the Mets shortening the rotation to a top four, uh, a guy like McGill would could be playing that kind of Bartolo Colon 2015 role where he's pitching out of the bullpen for an inning at a time. Uh, I'm looking up his stats right now that uh, for his career, he has not been like a lights out guy uh, in the first inning, uh, but he has been very good. Uh, he has been better this year in the first inning. He's given up uh, five runs in seven starts uh, in the first inning. Not great, but better than he did last year uh, when he gave up uh, 15 and 18 starts. Um, and it has been uh, pretty good the first time through the order. He, you know, at, like most starting pitchers and, and like most young starting pitchers, uh, he's experienced not just a third time through the order penalty, but a bit of a second time through the order penalty. So I think McGill is a guy you can imagine being um, – for a, a brief period of time this season out of necessity or out of the, the depth that they have a reliever for them. Uh, he's the guy that, that I would, I would focus on there. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think it, it's, you know, not just the stats, but to the eye. I mean, I would say with the stats, the warning would be that McGill feels like a, an evolving pitcher and a, and a different guy this year than he was last year. So it's hard to look like too deeply into, I think the historical record on him. He has the the type of stuff I think you associate with a, a late inning reliever, and I think um, Bassett and Carrasco seem too valuable as starters, and they both seem like you know veteran guys who have lots of experience as starters, not guys you're going to mess around with. Uh, Walker would worry me a little bit coming out of the bullpen just because he he isn't the at least hasn't been this season the the height strikeout type guy, and so you worry about like you know allowing a lot of contact coming in in a close game. Uh, coming in with runners on base situations like that uh also with the injury issues he's had in the past you think like we kind of want to set it and forget it and let him stick to his routine so yeah so it seems like mcgill would be that guy but then you also worry with mcgill um that you know early in the season buck Showalter expressed some concern that maybe he was he was overthrowing a little bit and and he wound up uh he wound up struggling a little bit and then and then landing on the disabled list which or i'm sorry the injured list uh and and you know it is now heading back but i think the the fact that he did get a little bit uh, not, not banged up isn't right for a, a muscle strain, but that he did strain himself um, would concern you at least a little bit if you're if you're running him out, especially if he if he's someone you value as a part of your future. Yeah, I mean that's always the 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 line you walk, you straddle that we've seen. You know, I mean, going back, uh, this is, it feels so long ago, like the Yankees using Phil Hughes out of the bullpen uh, for a year, or the Dodgers have done this with mm-hmm. uh, Tony Gonsolin and, and Dustin May and, and Julio Arias uh, in the playoffs, like using those guys, maybe not just for one inning, but for multiple innings uh, come playoff time. Uh, you know, we, we've seen teams kind of go. David Price back in the day. Yeah, so we, we've seen teams kind of go back to, you know, back in the, the 70s and 80s, like the way you broke a starting pitcher into your rotation wasn't that, you know, they worked at AAA and they got called up and they were a starter. Like they spent a year in the bullpen, it seemed like, uh, getting used to the major leagues. Uh, we've seen teams do that a little bit when they have the uh, the amount of depth that they want to have to be able to do that. The, the Dodgers are really the, the main one that comes to mind. Uh, and so, you know, you can play around with that idea with, with McGill and, and even with Peterson uh, later in the season if you feel like, you know, AAA isn't what he needs to, you know, he, he's better than AAA. He doesn't need to go back there, but he could be a left-handed arm out of the pen. The final part of the question, uh, the loop part. Um, so I, I think with, with loop and with Andrew Chafin, who signed in Detroit, both of them signed two-year deals 
with teams that expected to contend this year uh, that are not currently contending. And the Angels, I mean, not currently contending means what? They're a game and a half or two games out of the the, the last wild card in the American League. Uh, it's not like... Except they are free-falling. They are free-falling. Yes, you know, if they never win another game, if you know they go through this week uh, and the Mets sweep them and hand them, uh, I think that would be an 18th straight loss at that point. Uh, I don't know... <laughs> then they let then they let them leave yeah, with think, Aaron think Loop. You get to you get to take one, uh, and uh, I guess they would opt for, for Loop over Syndergaard. Um, you know, I, I don't know how teams in in Anaheim's position, in Detroit's position, would view uh, a player who's signed for twenty twenty three. Whether they they feel the need to trade them at this point, you know, uh, I, I've been thinking about it more with the Tigers and Chafin uh, than with the Angels and Loop. But that is something that that you know you would have to contemplate if you're one of those teams. Uh, how much do we want to reset before trying again next season? The Angels generally don't seem like they want to reset too much because they're always trying pretty hard to win. Uh, they're they're never doing it that well, uh, as the Mets fans of the Wilpon era know. Uh, so I, I don't know that they would sell off someone like Loop and certainly wouldn't do it cheaply. Uh, but you know, it's it's someone to put on the list basically uh, to contemplate come come next month. What would you do? If the Mets did finally acquire Andrew Chafin, uh, I would retire. You know, I've, it's funny. Like, I haven't written that I, much I about wondering. him. It's just like he, it's been like a, an aside in so many different stories and podcasts that we've done. Like, because if they had just signed someone else to be a left-handed reliever, and, and even if they had just, you know, if they hadn't like made the trade for Joely Rodriguez, uh, like we would have just, you know, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. Like, there were other lefties who were pretty good too in loop uh in brooks raley who's in tampa uh like they had other options uh for that spot it was just chafin was out there for the longest and they hadn't signed anyone uh and we had a lockout so we could talk about all the moves that they they could make when they come back uh and that was the obvious one that that they didn't make and a less heralded move uh that the mets made and and one i want to end on did you see the did you see the uh the player they signed today I did see that they brought in Terrence Gore, which is the clearest sign of their postseason ambitions. Right. Uh, if Gore, if if you're unfamiliar, has been is sort of like a he's a, I mean he's basically a, a pitch pinch running specialist, and uh, the the Braves used him in the postseason with some success last year, not a ton, uh, and and the Royals did. I, I remember back as far as 2014. So. Gore has really been hanging around a while, and if you look up his his uh, baseball reference page or, or his stats anywhere, it's sort of it's a funny line because it's just every year he comes up and plays about 15 games at the end of the season when rosters expand and and teams can carry a pinch runner, um, and he does it ex- extremely well. He's he's one of maybe the fastest guy in organized baseball. Uh, he's a he's a he's a really nice guy to talk to in my experience, at least uh, in a couple of postseasons that I covered that he was playing in, uh, and just like a, it's a it's, he's such it's such a neat acquisition. I feel like it to it, and and I I don't want to diminish diminish his baseball playing and and say like it's like a a gadget type guy, but it is. It is like this, like sort of little secret weapon thing that you can that you can sneak on teams late in the season when you do have the flexibility that comes with roster expansion. I, I like that. Through his first five seasons in major leagues, he had uh, as many hits one as World Series rings, <laughs> and and fewer hits than pennants uh, during his time in Kansas City. Uh, yeah, a guy, a guy who has not played much, uh, really only. He's only got one season in the major leagues in which he's gotten more than five plate appearances, and that was in 2019 for the Royals when he actually hit pretty well. Um, 
but then has been, uh, mm-hmm. you know, has is five of six in the the uh, postseason for stolen bases. You know, it was him and and Quinton Berry was another guy who who filled this kind of role. Uh, you go back a ways, you got like Otis mm-hmm. Nixon, uh, Dave Roberts, certainly with the Red Sox. Um, you know, Rajay Davis. Well, but those guys, but they they played like Otis Nixon and Dave Roberts were regular or or at least set like part regular part time players. Whereas Gore is like. And Gore yeah. takes it to like the logical extreme of like this is the only thing he does is he pinch runs uh, and he he steals bases for you uh, and you don't want him batting, um, but uh, you know it's it's looking ahead to what what they the Mets might need come come an October series, uh, you know, uh, and they they don't have a ton of team speed they don't have a they, they're better certainly on the bases than they've been in the past but there's not a lot of guys on that roster maybe outside of Marte that you would want stealing a base in a big spot and this gives you one more to to think about. In the 70s, I don't know, I, I, this is something I don't know why I know this fact, but I, I have looked it up to confirm it. Uh, the A's employed a sprinter, Herb Washington, uh, as uh, exclusively as a pinch runner. They, in over between 1974 and 1975, he played in 105 games and never came to the plate. <laughs> you know, I, and he wasn't, the, the, the sad thing is, not a great base stealer. He uh, he stole 31 bases and he was caught 17 times. You know, I, I wonder with the way that benches are set up now that uh, you know the National League has the designated hitter, so you don't you don't pinch hit nearly the extent that you used to. Uh, if teams, you know, if you're carrying, you're going to have to carry uh, four bench players once the the pitching maximum comes in at the end of the month, and you can only carry as many as 13 pitchers, so you're going to have four bench players. If some teams think like, "Hey, let's carry a, a pinch running specialist," it's it's far likelier they would they would carry a guy who's incapable of playing the field or a, a third catcher or something like that. But uh, hopefully, there is one team out there that that decides, you know, we're going to be the team that has the pinch running specialist, and the Mets, in signing Terrence Gore, have set themselves up to be that team. Well, and for those thinking, oh, uh, couldn't you just comb the uh, the the Olympic ranks for a guy like that? Gore pointed out uh, before the 2014 World Series, I talked to him a little bit because it was this uh, amazing story of a guy who had only come to plate twice and uh, come to the plate twice and was on the World Series roster. Um, he said, and and I think this is probably true. He said that he could. He said 100 percent he could beat Usain Bolt in a race around the bases. Oh yeah, you know it's it's. Can Usain Bolt, you know, take <laughs> make the cut second base really well on a first to third? The same way that Terrence Gore can, you know, it's it's a skill, right? It's you definitely know, you a skill. Top speed faster, and and it's a faster top speed. But how long are you in top speed when you're stealing a base? Like it's not, it, it's it's a matter of a second or two, you know, and probably le- smaller uh, degrees of that. Uh, so I like it. Uh, I think I don't know that there's a better bet than than Terrence Gore for that that base running specialist job, and I'm psyched. That the Mets are the team that are that are thinking that far down the road. Um, maybe maybe it would have felt a little. It wouldn't it wouldn't have felt like hubris if they did it yesterday at this time. Now you're like, oh, they're signing World Series guys after after Alonzo and Marte go down. But uh, still, you know, it's it's a nice thought and it's thinking ahead. And I'll ignore the fact that the Braves have crept up over 500. Ignore the fact that they are playing much better and and. Uh looking more like the the contender that we expected them to be at the start of the season. Tim, uh, we'll do it again later in the week. Yep. Talk to you on Friday. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>